Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today, we are reintroducing you to one of our favorite interviews with Marsha Mason. Now, you will probably remember that name from the Goodbye Girl, but Marsha is a two-time Golden Globe winner, four-time Academy Award nominee, and at 81, she doesn't look like she's stopping anytime soon. Marsha's going to tell you about her eventful excursion to New Mexico to start a farm. She's going to talk about the fact that she raced cars for many years and that she is, I mean, you will remember seeing her in the middle, in The Good Wife, yeah, Frasier, yeah, so, so many ensemble casts, and of course, Grace and Frankie, and she talks about that in the episode as well. I was just so delightfully impressed with the joy that she shared while she was having this conversation. Don't you think, Bridget? Oh my gosh, she really was a joy to talk to. And it's, it's, you know, starting organic farming before that was like the cool thing to do, which not only is it cool, it's cool, but it's good for you too. So I get that. <laughs> but, you know, she was, you know, really got into it, how she just kind of took this up, these pivots and these turns she took in her life that just made it, enriched it, made it richer. And also how she, you know, really, even though she had marriages, she still maintained a really great relationship with her ex-spouses. I thought that that was really neat too. And how they- And the children. And she talks about her marriage to Neil Simon and just her life experience, which is So interesting to listen to. So we're going to get started right before. We just want to remind you guys that October 8th is less than two months away. Have you gotten your tickets yet for Conversations with Prime Women, our event in Nashville? It is going to be an incredible afternoon. Our sponsors are just so excited, and we are so excited. Trafalgar Tours is going to be there with event travel. We are going to have Laura Geller, L'Oreal Vichy, Womaness, Better Not Younger Hair Care. The list goes on and on. We're so thrilled to have local um, physicians and experts in the aesthetics room, which is an experiential room that you guys are going to love as well. Not to mention some celebrities are going to join us along the way. So go to eventbrite.com or conversationswithprimewomen.com to get your tickets. And don't forget to use FF15 for 15% off. Let's start our conversation with Marsha Mason. We'll talk to you after. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, guys. Today is a very special day on the show. We have Marsha Mason, four-time Academy Award nominee, two-time Golden Globe winner. So many accolades that we could list, um, and we'll talk about so many of them. Welcome to the show, Marsha. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. I love your title. (laughs) You've worked on a lot of ensemble casts like Frasier and the good wife and but what is grace and frankly like because it's it's like-minded women all in the same room creative and kind of pinging off speaking of pinging off people Yes, and it's totally, it's a wonderful set, first of all. It's a great set because Jane and Lily sort of set the tone, and they're just terrific, both of them. And they, in some ways, they become those two characters. So, (laughs) Jane, I mean, I never know when we stop shooting sometimes in terms of how Jane refers to Lily or Lily refers to Jane. But they're just, um, they're darling, and they're sweet, and and they're, 
are very giving. Um, they make you feel uh, very comfortable coming on to the set, which sometimes can be uh, a bit awkward for somebody who just bops in once in a while. Um, it's like they have a kind of rhythm and you have to kind of fit into it, but they make it extremely welcoming. Frasier was like that also. Um, I remember David Hyde Pierce telling me that it's sometimes it's the hardest thing to have a guest um, a star come in because they're in a sort of rhythm and the person isn't, you know, isn't in that flow. So uh, it can be kind of awkward. But um, my, my was fortunate in both instances that it was just a really terrific role and a terrific uh, set. And Martin Kaufman and the writers are all very, very uh, hip and terrific, really terrific. We had talked to Patricia Heaton a few months ago, and we were just talking about different things. And I think she brought up saying, I can't believe that, uh, well, how you're not really that much older than uh, Patricia Heaton. And they had you playing her mother. And, I know. That's I know. always. Well, uh, yeah. I had her when I was 15. Yeah, you're like, you're not, you, you couldn't have been her mother. Yeah. But you did a great job. You know, you were, I loved that show and you were, it was, you know, fabulous. It is just amazing how they just, ages and how they just play off and put people in different ages all the time. And, I, and we, yeah. yeah, we talk, but you're, you're somebody that seems to keep getting, you know, work all the time or, you know, you're, you're constantly, it seems like you've been working even since your like breakout days, like, um, you know, from the beginning. And, well, and yes, also because of the theater, I started out as a theater actor and I, I just love the theater. So I never gave it up even when, you know, the business changed in the eighties and there wasn't as much happening for me on film um, I grabbed whatever I was offered you know because I wanted to stay involved but I also stayed very much involved in the theater always so so do you do you prefer one over the other do you prefer film or TV over theater do you care do you like them both or? I, I do like them both uh, I think I feel stronger a bit about the theater but only because the theater can uh, most of the time offer me more interesting roles than what is kind of available for me uh, now in terms of the business and um, that's just always the way it's been you know even in feature films it was hard to find uh, good roles for women men mm -hmm. generally dominated the the scene. But mm -hmm. that's changed now with the Me Too movement, but also just a kind of coming of age of the rest of the country in terms of women's stories. So I feel very positive about the future. Um, mm -hmm. I just want to stay as healthy as possible and mm -hmm. until I drop. <laughs> oh, that is great. We that interviewed an author of Successful Aging and he talked, Daniel Levitin, and he talks about work until you drop, never retire. And if you do retire, go right into volunteering keep yourself active and that will help keep you healthy so I think, um, oh, yeah I do I think that's and part of the reason I did Little Gem in 2019 was I challenged myself to memorize all that because oh, if wow. you don't exercise your brain then you do lose the cell
themselves, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's really important. I had a friend, uh, Blair Brown, who used to just memorize sonnets and poems just to keep herself going if she wasn't working. To take it back to kind of when you started, when did you, when did you discover a love for acting or theater? Um, I was in high school. Um, I think it was my freshman year of high school at Nerinx Hall in St. Louis. And um, at that time, art, the arts were supported, you know, in the, in the schools and considered part of a good education. So we had, um, um, we had a one-act acting club, kind of, and we did competitions with other states uh, in the Midwest, I remember traveling on a train and uh, going to, you know, Nebraska or something for wow. some festival, one act festival. Um, but I, I got a, a chance to, um, they were going to do a musical or, or a big kind of show called Babes in Toyland. Um, and so it was for the whole school and the community out in Webster Groves. And um I, I, they just assigned me a jack-in-the-box I had to pop up <laughs> at a certain moment. And so I popped up, you know, in a costume and everything, and there was this row of little kids. You know, they were like five and six, um, and every all of them went, oh, like that, and I was totally hooked from that. Oh, oh wow. I knew that's really what I wanted to do. And I, uh-huh. I enlisted my father because it was a girls' school, and so I enlisted my father to play the wizard. <laughs> so, yeah, that's when I said it. And from that moment on, I was bitten, and I, it never stopped. Wow. I mean, that I love stories like that, though, because it's just... It's just incredible that you have that passion. So, and it comes through in your work. And, you know, and then the passion, you know, you've been nominated, you won Golden Globes. Um, So does that put pressure on you? Like here you come through, you were pretty young, you know, getting nominated. And is that pressure for your next role? Like, oh my gosh, I got nominated. Now I have to knock it out of the park this time or is is that a pressure um i think probably maybe for some people especially now in the business where it's even tougher than it was i think for me um it was a bit more relaxed um, back in the 70s. You could get more films made for a smaller amount of money than what it costs now. Um, and we had time to rehearse and all of that stuff. But uh, for me, the the toughest part was to, to have that sort of overnight sensation. Um, that first, I mean, to do, I, I was just doing rep at uh, ACT in San Francisco and got um, two movies in the same year. They came out in the same year and um, was I got nominated uh, for Cinderella Liberty and I, w- I was not prepared for that. And then when I also had a whirlwind romance, um, you know, with Neil Simon, we got married while we were doing the show on Broadway, The Good Doctor, and The Goodbye Girl uh, just sent it into the stratosphere. And I, I was, I was not, I was scared. I, I was mm-hmm. not prepared to handle the success of it uh, exactly. It, it scared me. 
And when I did Cinderella Liberty, also, uh, you know, then all I was offered only, you know, uh, prostitute roles or gypsy or, you know, something. So it was kind of, I felt much more comfortable and wanted to just go back to ACT and be part of an ensemble. That's been, uh, that was a hard adjustment. I bet that was, yeah. When you... So you have this, you call it whirlwind, we call it free weeks. <laughs> you get married. and But I, my understanding is your first husband was pretty quick, too. Like, you, when you know, you know. Yes, you know? I, that's true. I met him, I think, in September, and we were married in February. But we lived in the same brownstone, you know, in separate apartments. I met him the first day I got to New York, so... Um, yeah, and oh my friends made friends through it all. He was he was close to Neil, um, and I, when I built the farm out in New Mexico, uh, he and his partner came and they built a house on it. And he was sort oh, wow. of eyes and ears when I would go off working to maintain the farm. And then he and he passed away um, oh. out there. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh that's mm-hmm. all right. He was yeah. Very happy. Um, he loved New Mexico. He was from New Mexico. So oh, okay, yeah, it was well, great. It was great. When you got married to Neil Simon, and you know the Goodbye Girl comes out, and it's like you said, you're kind of in this whirlwind. What is it like to be married to someone who's directing a lot of your films as well? Was it difficult to kind of put that hat on and then take it off at the end of the day and go home? Strangely enough, it it kind of wasn't. I think partially because, or maybe mostly because, the two of us had an enormous respect for each other's talent. I always uh, was very strong about memorizing exactly the lines as they were written, um, even in not-so-good plays. Um, But... Uh, I had enormous respect for him, and also he was a charming and extremely funny, wonderful man in private. He was very shy in public um, and very quiet, um, but but personally, we had a great time together. So that kind of just bled into and onto the set, and consequently, we just had a really, really good working relationship. And I know that some. Uh, couples can't work together. It just sends them in the wrong direction. But for Neil and I, we, we had a terrific professional relationship in all the films that we did. And it enabled us to raise his two daughters and um, they became my daughters. And I love them to death to this day. In fact, my oldest, Ellen, lives just uh, about three minutes from me. She uh, to be uh, in on the East Coast and stuff. So, so you know, it, it worked out okay. It's just, um, it was, it's hard though, you know, if one person really wants you there all the time um, and, and they're used to having somebody there all the time and you want to go off and maybe challenge yourself, it can, it puts a strain on a relationship and eventually um, we agreed that uh, it wasn't, it just wasn't working for him. He wanted to have somebody at home and somebody who didn't have a career. So, 
we had 10 great years together and um but even after we separated um, and divorced, I wound up doing uh, Prisoner of Second Avenue, his play, um, at, in London at the Royal Haymarket with Richard Dreyfus, And he came, and we had a great time together, and he loved it. And so it was really good. One of the stories that I thought was so interesting about The Goodbye Girl when I was doing some research was that originally he had written it to be kind of the second chapter of the show. Like once he became, Richard Dreyfuss' character became a star and how he handled family, what made him change it and back it up to the story of them actually meeting and going from um, there? The, the script um, that was the genesis, really, for The Goodbye Girl was a, a, a movie that he wrote called uh, Bogart Slept Here. And um, it was roughly based on uh, Dustin Hoffman's uh, breakthrough kind of moment in his career where he was doing an off-Broadway show and somebody, uh, a famous um, uh, director, Mike Nichols, came along and offered him The Graduate. And Neil uh, started from that point of view about, about wanting to write about success. And then... Um, we, they they went into pre-production and the whole uh, uh, you know nine yards and everything and we even shot a little and then realized that um, Neil realized that there was something majorly wrong with the material and it was basically I remember him saying you know people aren't interested in successful people they're always interested in the underdog so consequently um, we you know we shut down and regrouped and Neil went away and said give me four weeks or whatever it was and he came up with the goodbye girl so the goodbye girl ends sort of where uh, Bogart's left here had started if you would and we're going to take a break we'll be back in a moment and we're back. And the whole scene, for example, you know, when he's doing Richard Third and everything. So uh, that's how that all uh, wound up taking place. But in those days, you know, you had the wherewithal and the studio power and stuff. And the, um, the finances weren't excruciating. I mean, we, I think the picture maybe, I, I don't even know. I think it was probably around 20,000. You know, it was so little. It was just wow. little to shoot um you could afford to do that we we rehearsed for a good i think eight days nine days on the set with quinn cummings and richard and myself uh doing um the goodbye girl script so and it was it was also richard came in um and i didn't know him he didn't know me but we just had this immediate chemistry and um we have it to this day um and so it just kind of came through the camera and really worked. I mean, we didn't know it was going to be a successful picture. As it was, but yeah. Not at all. We didn't know it was going to last as long as it has. It stays pretty current. Yeah. It doesn't seem too dated, uh, I gather. So I thought it was so funny that they acted like you were old when you were 33. <laughs> I was like, she's only 33. What? <laughs> 
friend, you know? I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh it's my crazy. gosh. But it was so good. It was so good, the whole thing. Thank and I, Yeah, it was so, it just you and Richard Dreyfuss, the chemistry. So to all yeah. these movies is kind of a decade of a whirlwind. You know, it's hard enough for women to, to get those roles and you were getting a lot of them and you were knocking them out of the park. And then you said, you know what? I'm going to up and move to New Mexico and store, start an organic farm. Can you talk about how that came about? Well, it was in the late 80s. Um, the business was uh, had changed remarkably. Um, it had moved on uh, and was very youth-oriented. Um, and so there were not very many roles that were interesting to do. And I was now single. Um, I built a house uh, out in California in the Palisades, and I really tried to build a life, a single life out there, and it just didn't feel right. And I had one of those kinds of moments where I just thought to myself, I've done this occasionally, well, rarely, but I have done it about three or four times, where I just think, what the heck? I'm, you know, I'm going to throw the pieces of my life up in the air like a kaleidoscope and see, you know, what new pattern can come down. And meanwhile, my ex-husband and his partner were thinking about building a second house out in um, New Mexico. And um, I said, well, maybe I'll tag along. And Neil and I had had a house in New Mexico, and I thought about keeping it um, during the divorce, but then we decided to sell it and I was fine with that so so but I went back out there um and there's something about that country that's really very special I can't quite explain it but I know why it draws people um and I I was just kind of like kind of existing and my friend Shirley McLean said oh I'm moving to New Mexico and I saw this piece of property just the other day and it'd be perfect for you (laughs) she said oh yes absolutely you have to go look at it (laughs) so I said okay so I go out and I look at this property around four o'clock in the afternoon and it's all on a on the Rio Chama and it's just raw land it's it's great raising land and there's some horses on it and it just was so beautiful so I thought what the heck so I bought 250 acres mm-hmm. and I called Shirley up and I said okay so when your uh, ultra terrestrials come uh, you, <laughs> you can invite them because she bought the mountain behind me so I said you can welcome them and I'll feed them down here so <laughs> we that's how that happened and then I and then I was working and I um I took my time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I never intended it to be a working farm, but you know, first I thought I'll just be a good steward. So I wound up learning about permaculture and uh, biodynamics, and I went to uh, soil fertility conferences in the dead of winter in Minnesota. And- <laughs> 
stuff, you know, when I wasn't uh, either racing or um, or um, working, you know, in television or whatever. So eventually it was just I heard some woman was growing chamomile in Arizona. And I thought, well, if a woman can grow chamomile in Arizona, I guess I could grow some stuff here because I always believed in alternative medicine. So I got I got organic seeds and I, you know, asked the universe for a grower and I got this fabulous uh, Bolivian man who just came up to the farm, to the land one day and things like that happened out there all the time. If you get really clear and you just ask the question that you need the answer to, within 48 hours, something <laughs> shows up that leads you to the next uh, phase. And then before I knew it, I was a working farmer doing certified organic medicinal herbs, uh, learning biodynamic farming you know, techniques. And then um, I just, I was going to go off to, I it was going off to prisoner of Second Avenue. I thought, I'm going to be in a completely different environment. My hands are a mess. Uh, my, you know, these theaters are 400 years old. So I went to a master herbalist. I said, look, this is everything I'm growing. Come and look at it and see what you think. And then I asked him for a salve and for a tincture from my throat. And so we began to work on these formulas for um, myself, really. And then the next thing I knew is I, I thought, well, maybe we'll sell them locally. And so we did. And then we had reps and we had I had a full-fledged business called Resting in the River. So it was, you know, over a 23-year period or whatever. So... It just kept going, kept fruit. Now, did you did you sell that, or do you still yeah. do that? No, you sold no, it. Yeah, I sold it uh, in 2014 to a wonderful uh, family, and they've kept it as a farm, um, wow. which is real. I had hoped, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, and so and it goes, it goes on. <laughs> it just keeps evolving. Wow. And yeah, and I packed everything up and came east and bought oh, you know, yeah. eight acres here and built another house, and here. I am. Wow. Wow. Like you mentioned race car driving. Yeah. And yeah. Now, how did that all start? How did you get into yeah. race car driving? Yeah, it was one of those <laughs> things where I wasn't doing enough um, because I took a flight. Uh, I was going from, I guess, uh, New York to L.A. Um, Paul Newman was on the flight, and I knew him socially, he and Joanne. And so I said, oh, what are you doing, you know, uh, coming uh, to L.A.? And he said, oh, he was racing out at Riverside. It was going to be the last race they were closing this racetrack and I went oh I love racing because when I was in high school my best friend Jane's father bought a kind of run down track in Missouri um, and on Sundays we go to real early mass and then we go out and we hand out the pit passes for all these guys who had funny cars and all the kind of you know uh, quarter mile racing that they did then 
And so I told Paul the thing, and he said, well, come on out. So that weekend I spent pretty much at the track with the guys and so said to the manager, well, you know, where are you going next? And he said, "I, you know, Brainerd in Wisconsin. I said, could you, you know, get me an extra room at the motel or whatever with the crew? And um, so I, start, I traveled with them whenever I wasn't working for a year. And then Paul said to me, what have I wrought? He said, well, he said, Why don't you go to school? And I didn't even know they had schools. So I wound up at Bondurant's and Russell's and Skip Barber's. I took all the schools I could. And then I wound up, uh, there were two tracks out in uh, Palmdale because I was still part of the time in L.A. So I continued to race. Um, and I raced for seven years, had a whole team with uh, a wonderful guy, Mike Lewis, who was a championship driver of Mazdas. And I liked the Mazda and the rotary engine. So um, anyway, so that's how that happened. So I made the Valvoline runoffs four times. I mean, you had to come in the top four of your division so and I met so many wonderful people I never would have met um and granted the guys were not always you know the most welcoming they were a little skittish but you know I stayed out of their way I just did my thing brought the car home just got kept getting better and uh eventually started to pass them and, and then it was okay you know you you do you have the ability to kind of pivot and and follow a path but you also kind of know when that path is you follow it through to maybe not the end but when it's time to change again yeah what is that how do you know like okay i've done the organic farm and now i kind of want to move back i've you know raced cars now i kind of want to pivot is there some signal you get from the universe saying okay it's time to try something new well, I mean, I think it, a lot of it is practical. For example, after a while, it was really tough to try to run the farm. And may, I made that big financial commitment and uh, and do the racing, which is also a big financial commitment. So there, you know, I had to really take a look at that. And then um, I thought, well, if I'm going to live here and I'm going to work this farm and I really was loving what I was doing and I I was learning a lot and it was engaging me I thought you know I'm never going to go any further in racing do you know what I mean other yes. than you know get better of course but but that's it so um and after a while you have to take a look at your age you know your reflexes are going to slow down a little bit and you do need them uh, not I mean Paul drove until he was in his late 70s and he was phenomenal um um, but anyway, so I, I had to make a decision about the farm and the cost of things. And then right. come 2014, um, it took me, I would say, about four years to try and sell the farm. Mm -hmm. because it, too, was part and parcel of, well, how, how much further can I go? I'd have to truly leave the business in order to take the whole farm business to a new level. I was way ahead of the curve as far as organics were concerned, and I was constantly having to change the formula to meet, um, you know, the NOP, but I got to uh, be the chairperson of the New Mexico Organic Commodities Commission, and we rewrote the statutes for the state uh, in terms of organics and stuff like that. 
So, so I, I, I had all that wealth of experience and I had started directing in the eighties, uh, but I had left it. And I think all the 20 some odd years uh, at the farm really gave me um, the patience and the uh, experience to go back to directing again in a completely different way than I would have in, in the 80s. And so that, you know, was something that intrigued me. And I suppose it's my interest. It's whatever kind of catches my interest, which sometimes is a great thing and sometimes it isn't because you, sometimes you should focus and go in one path. But that doesn't seem <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm staying focused now. Right. <laughs> because I have to. You know what I mean? I'm forgetting names. So <laughs> well, well, yeah, we can relate uh, to can that. that. I can do that, yes. How had Hollywood changed when you went back in 2014? Yeah, it's a completely different business. It's like night and day from the 70s. In fact, they started calling the 70s the golden years. And the big thing was, you had an awful lot of young uh, men and to some extent women um, who uh, didn't, you know, their history of filmmaking was negligible. Um, and it was a completely different business. It was now run by big corporations. It was no longer a studio per se. It was just the arm of a much larger thing like uh, Gulf and Western. Paramount was Gulf and Western and stuff like wow. that. And then the costs, the costs, the kinds of movies. Um, it turned out that... Um, uh, an independent film could be done, you know, on a very small budget, or you could, and they, you were guaranteed to make some money, so you picked up those independent films, or you had to have your top ten uh, people at the, who could open a film uh, in the at the box office, but those were costing a hundred million dollars and more to do and to earn money back. And so that middle section of 25, 50 million, you know, whatever, they didn't know for sure if they could make money on that film. So that film no longer get, got made. So it's been a, a whole complete shift of financial and creative uh, thing. And then you have technology all of a sudden coming in, you know, and the move to digital and all of that just continuing to uh, open up and then thank God for cable because mm -hmm. people would never have known my films if it weren't for cable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think my films were one of the first that went to cable and people, I, I suddenly had a whole new generation of fans, which was great. I mean, to this day, Drop Dead Fred is like a... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I, oh, yeah, and I'm working. I'm I'm helping write the book for the musical of Drop Dead. Oh, now. oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> along with Tony Fingleton, and um, yeah. So you know, and we have Australia's interest in so wow. We'll see what happens. We want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has oh, been an absolute you. honor to speak with you. And please come back anytime, especially to yeah, share anytime. your new adventures. Oh, yes. Well, 
that was such a fun and amazing conversation with Marsha Mason. I She is just one of my favorite people, such a wonderful, caring, just easy to talk to woman, incredible actor, incredible farmer, race car driver, just, you know, kind of just a role model for women in general. And check us out. Check out all of our podcast episodes. Um, go to wherever you listen to podcasts. And also follow us on all of our social media platforms. We have most of these interviews on video on YouTube. So check that out. It's under Hot Flashes and Cool Topics on YouTube. We have a TikTok. We have Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We have Instagram. We also have the Hot Flash Shop. We have brands that we love. So check out our website, which is hotflashescooltopics.com. And if you have a really interesting question or story and to share your menopause story with us, send us an email at hotflasheskooltopics at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what your journey was like. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.